Well, we're going to continue our study in Ephesians, and I just want to uh, in, say a word to our parents. Because we don't have the kind of children's programs that we have used to have, we've got parents with younger children that are attending church, and I just want to applaud you for doing that. I want to, uh, I realize that your, your children may not uh, always be as quiet as you would like them to be, and I just want you to relax. We can deal with that. If the gospel can't work with a, a few kids who get a little rambunctious, then the gospel doesn't work. And I just want to encourage you. I was a young child. Uh, my parents did not believe in children's church. I was always so sad because my parents wouldn't let me go with the other kids. And so I had to endure sermon after sermon. I, I was fidgety. I, I, I didn't like being in a tie, which my parents dressed me up in. I, I was difficult at times. I had little springs on pins that I used to flick into the sanctuary and hit other people. I dropped a few offering plates during the offering. Uh, I was a mess in one sense, and I know it was embarrassing for my parents. And yet, in the midst of that, while it didn't look like I was absorbing, I was absorbing a lot more than I think it looked like I was absorbing. In fact, when I was seven years old, I can't even remember this, God called me to pastoral ministry in the middle of a worship service that I probably didn't seem like I was paying attention to. So parents, once you relax, I'm glad you're here. We need to do this together. And um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited that you're here. I'm excited that your children are here. And who knows what God may do even this morning through them. Well, last week we dove into our series on Ephesians. We looked at different these new identities that God has given us in Jesus Christ. We've, given every, we've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. We've been chosen by God for a purpose, to be holy and blameless before him. We were adopted into God's family. And in verse 7 through 12, we look at another series of new realities, new identities that have been given to us by God through Jesus Christ. It's interesting, before we dive into the realities we want to look at this week, it's interesting that in verse 3 through 6, it appears that it's God the Father who's blessing us with these spiritual blessings. Verses 7 through 12 focus on what Jesus Christ does. And next week, verses 13 and 14, we'll look at what the Holy Spirit does in terms of giving us these new blessings, these new identities, these new realities. So this morning, what I want us to look at in spite of the fact that there's many more identities in verses 7 through 12, we want to look at two spiritual realities that have been given to us through Christ by God himself. These are realities that are true about us. These are realities that we don't work for, we don't earn, we don't perform for them. They've simply been given to us. And one more thing before we actually get into these two new realities, these two identities... It's probably true that those of you who know Christ, whether you're at home, uh, right, or whether you're in person, probably all of us need to pray more, okay, at this time. Probably all of you need to be reading the Bible more. That's probably true. Probably all of you need to be sharing the gospel with other people. That's probably true. And there's a host of other commands that all of us probably need to do better at and to live out more consistently and comprehensively. What I want to encourage you to do, and I think what Paul encourages us to do, is before you start trying to do a bunch of things and put a little checklist in your Christian life together, what is more foundational than doing those good things is to believe what God says about you because of Christ and what he did. 
what is more foundational for you in many ways to be a follower of Jesus Christ is not to get a whole checklist, but is to believe what God has said about you, to believe the new identity that God has, has done for you in Christ. And it's in believing who you are in Christ. It's believing who you already are in Christ that is the foundation to doing and following the commands that certainly we need to do. Sometimes I think we get these things reversed where we start to focus more on what we're going to do in our Christian life rather than foundationally look at what God has already done for you and to remind yourself of who you already in, are in Christ. And it's out of that reality, it's out of that identity that you then can be more consistently, more consistent and more comprehensively who you already are because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's look at the first reality, this first new, uh, new piece of identity that Paul talks about in verse seven. He says this, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. In him, we have redemption through his blood. This first new piece of identity, this, this first reality that we want to look at this morning is very simple. We have redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, in order to understand what that means, you kind of need to understand what this phrase assumes, first of all. I then want to describe what the, th- what the text actually means. And then I want to talk a little bit about the future dimension of this redemption. So first of all, when it says we have redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ, this is the first new reality. What's important for to realize is this, this assumes that at one time you were enslaved to something. You were enslaved to sin. The word redemption is about paying a price to, to free someone who's in slavery. Whether that occurred through bankruptcy, whether that occurred through a criminal act, whether in war you had become a slave. If someone came and paid the price of redemption, they could remove you from your place of slavery and give you freedom. So when we see the text says, in him we have redemption through his blood, it's assuming that for all of us, before we trusted Christ, we were enslaved to sin. We were trapped in our own sin. We were helpless and hopeless. We couldn't get out. There was nothing we could do to get out of this condition, to be enslaved by sin. And not only enslaved by sin, we were enslaved by the guilt of sin. Our sin had had produced guilt before God the Father. And because that we had this guilt because of our sin, we were enslaved by that sin. We had no way to get out. And that is why when it says we have redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ, it's a fantastic and amazing new identity. So what does it mean we were trapped in this marketplace of sin? We were trapped. Let me turn to Ephesians 2. We're going to look at this in a couple of weeks. But this is, it sort of describes in, 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 in so many words what it meant to be trapped by our sin. Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses. We were spiritually dead. And in your sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
The message of the Bible is that every single human being born is born into sin by nature. And then by their actions, they live out their identity as sinners and they do wrong things. And therefore they incur guilt before a holy God. They are trapped by the system of the world, a system of false ideas that try to make life work without God. Satan himself is involved in this because he, in some sense, controls the world. And even our own selves in our own life, because we are in sin and because we have incurred the guilt of that sin, we are in slavery to sin. We are enslaved and we have no way out. That's sort of the assumption of the the phrase, we have redemption in Jesus Christ. Now, what does it mean? The amazing thing in in, in Ephesians is, is that we now, through Jesus Christ, through his shed blood, we, ha- we now have redemption. In other words, what has happened in the death of Christ, by paying the price for our sin, he paid the price for the guilt of our sin, for the, sin that our, the punishment that our sins deserved. And now Christ has paid that price. He's taken us out of the marketplace of sin, out of our slavery to sin, and he has now given us freedom. Freedom to follow him, freedom from the guilt of sin, freedom from the, even the de facto power of sin. And that has been accomplished through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, who has now redeemed us. And what the text says here, it says in him, we have redemption through his blood. In other words, this spiritual reality is true about us, not because of what we've done, not because we've really worked hard to better our lives. It's simply been given to us by grace. We once were enslaved, now we have been free from that enslavement. No more guilt, no more punishment of sin lies on our heads. And the de facto power of sin, which we once were enslaved to, has now been broken by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but this is an amazing reality. The guilt And punishment that we deserved has been paid for by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The power of sin that was controlling our lives de facto has now been broken. And now we belong to Christ in a new way. We were slaves of sin before, but now because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we're out of slavery, we have freedom, and now we belong to him. In some sense, now we become servants of God himself free to live out our new identity to serve him. Let me give you one more aspect. We not only have redemption, but there's a future part of our redemption that lies ahead. I want you to turn back to Romans 8, verse 23. Romans 8, verse 23. There's a future aspect of our redemption. Paul says this, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We now have redemption, according to what Paul says. We now are free from guilt, free from punishment, free from the de facto power of sin. 
But now we are looking forward to the full experience of redemption when we get a new body, when we're delivered from these bodies and we get a new body and in heaven experience the full redemption that has been purchased for for us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the question I I have for us, we go back to Ephesians 1 is, When you woke up this past week, it, it, did, did the, the fact that you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ enter your mind this week as part of your identity? Do you have a sense that you once were slaves of sin and its guilt, but now that you've, you've been freed by God, free from the guilt, free from the de facto power of sin, and now you're a servant of Christ, in some sense a slave of Christ, as Paul would call it, a bond slave, now fully free to do what you're supposed to do, and then in the future you will have the full part of your redemption when you get a new body in the next life? Is that part of how you view yourself? very interesting question, I think. And I think for many believers, one of our big struggles in the Christian life is not, not that we don't read the Bible or pray and all that's true, but we don't really believe what Ephesians 1, 7 says that in Christ, we have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't believe that we are in this new condition. We don't believe we're in this new situation. I'll never forget, uh, Denise and I had a, a good friend of ours who was a believer in Jesus Christ. Before this woman had come to Christ, she was under a lot of pressure in a very bad situation, in a very bad relationship, and she terminated her pregnancy prematurely, on purpose, willfully, intentionally. And when she came to Christ, one of the difficult things that, that she struggled with is she couldn't really believe that she had the full redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. She couldn't believe that, that the blood of Jesus Christ had covered her for the mistake that she made as a younger person under a lot of pressure. She couldn't get over it. She couldn't really believe that she was freed from the marketplace of sin. She wouldn't fully believe all the time. By her own admission, it's hard for me to believe that the guilt of that has been taken care of fully by the blood of Christ. And because she struggled with that, it crippled her ability to live for Christ. And I I fear for some of you at home. I fear for some of you here in this room. I'm worried that, that, that you've got something in your past, something you've done, something, or a series of things that you've done in your life, and you somehow don't believe that the blood of Jesus Christ is big enough to take care of the guilt that your sin incurred. I'm concerned that we, we, we have things that we do, even things that we do after we come to Christ, and we're not completely confident that Jesus Christ has redeemed us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We don't really believe that we're fully free from that guilt. And I fear for some of us, what we're trying to do in the Christian life is not to live out of our redemption and live out of our freedom and the power of the blood of Christ moving forward, we're trying to sort of overcome the the previous sins and sort of by ourselves overcome our own guilt through our feverish serving of God rather than simply believe that we are redeemed. We have, we possess redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ completely. 
It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It wasn't, doesn't matter even as a believer what you do today that's wrong. All of it has been taken care of by the blood of Jesus Christ. All of us have been freed from the guilt and the slavery to that guilt. We have complete freedom in Christ to know this God because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And the question is, do you believe it? Or is there something in your past or something more recent and you just won't believe that the blood of Christ is big enough to deal with that sin? Now, there's another group of people I fear, maybe at home, maybe here, is that if you came to Christ when you were really young, you don't have these big stories of dramatic testimonies. I remember as a young boy, I resented the fact that my testimony of how I came to faith in Christ was so boring. You know, I grew up in a Christian home. I heard the gospel 400 times. And when I was six, seven years old, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I always wanted to have a better testimony. And one time at this new, new group that was, was starting, they asked me to give a testimony. I think I was like 10 years old. And uh, I was young, and, and, and it, it, those of you who know me won't be surprised. My testimony went like this. I changed my testimony to make it more dramatic. I said, you know, when I was four years old, I was a drug kingpin in my neighborhood. I then took up a new territory, and after knocking off all of the other drugs, I became a multimillionaire part of the mafia. I killed a lot of people. I mean, I just made up stuff. So it would be dramatic. It would be exciting. I think for some of you who may, by God's grace, came to Christ at an early age. You need to still remember when it says you have redemption in Jesus Christ, you were just as enslaved as anybody else. And it matters not if your if you're disobedience, we would all kind of laugh at and sort of understand you disobeyed your parents, you, you, you weren't nice to your siblings, blah, 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 blah. The reality was you were enslaved. And when we fail to believe that we all were enslaved, that was the condition of all of us, helpless, hopeless, trapped by guilt, trapped by sin, trapped by the power of sin. You'll never appreciate when God says to you, you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You'll never understand how amazing that is. So I fear for those who underestimate that. Think of the apostle Paul. He wrote these words. Yes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he wrote them. You ever think about Paul? Think about his life? He was very religious. He was godly in many ways. I mean, he did all the, he did the checklist. But do you realize that Paul terrorized other fellow believers, other believers in Christ? Do you realize he imprisoned people who are followers of Christ? Do you realize he was at the stoning of Stephen and he was supporting the, 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 the martyrdom of another believer? He's, in some sense, he was complicit in murder. The apostle Paul, a murderous, a, a sort of a, a religious terrorist, so to speak, who imprisoned people. And yet Paul can write these words in him we have redemption through his blood. Do you believe that? Is that the way you see yourself? One more thing about this. It's going to be very difficult for you to fight the sin in your life as a believer unless you believe these words. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 6. I'm just going to read you a verse very quickly, but it's so important. 
Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians 6. At the end of the book, uh, end of that chapter in verse 12, he starts to talk about sexual immorality. It's one category of sins. And he talks about, you know, you need to flee from that. You need to, you need to deal with that in your life. But what does he say in verse 20? He says, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. What Paul says to these believers, and and, and certainly the believers in Corinth, as in any church, there are people struggling with, uh, you know, different layers of immorality of some kind. Paul appeals to these believers and says, you need to stop this, you need to repent, and you need to live in a different way. And what he appeals to them is based on their redemption. You were bought with a price. You're not your own, he says in the phrase before that. You are, you, you're in a new relationship with God. He paid for you by the, the blood of Jesus Christ. He, he bought you and, and, and brought you out of the slavery to sin, out of the de facto power of sin. You, you now are in a new relationship with him because of the redemption through the blood of Christ. Therefore, since you are this new person, free from the power of sin, free from the guilt of sin, live like it. Live out of your new identity. That's the appeal he makes. I think for some of us, because we've lost sight of the fact that we have redemption through his blood, because we forgot about what God had to do to rescue us from being trapped in slavery, moving us into freedom, free from the power and the guilt of sin, because we fail to see this as who we really are. We lack the power and the motivation to fight against the temptations that we run into. Because here's the thing. The reality is when a believer in Jesus Christ decides to to sin, you decide to go back to your old life, what you're really doing is going back to prison, so to speak. You crawl back over the wall, crawl back into your jail cell and say, I know I'm free, but I'm going to go back and live as if I was still in slavery to sin. That's the kind of mindset you need to approach your struggle with sin these days. It's all based upon the fact of whether or not you will believe what God has told us in his word. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Now that's the first reality. The second reality, see in verses eight, nine, and 10. He talks about forgiveness of sins. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Forgiveness is sort of, sort of the first aspect or first step of redemption, so to speak. It's very important. Issues of time, I, I will leave that for a later sermon. He says, he, the forgiveness of, of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And so what Paul is beginning to move toward, he's he's saying that in grace, this grace that God lavished on us, part of that grace was making known to us the mystery of his will. He gave us this wisdom and insight by the spirit of God to understand the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. The second reality that is so crucial is this. God has revealed to us that in the future, 
the entire universe will be reconciled to God and put back together again. All right? In the future, God's graciously revealed this to you. In the future, all things in heaven and on earth will be united together under the lordship of Christ. Do you see the broken? The one thing that the Bible is almost 100% sure to be true is that the world is broken. If you don't know that, read a newspaper. If there are some newspapers left. Read, 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 the, read the internet. The world is broken. But the promise here that's revealed to us is that God has a plan that in Jesus Christ, everything in heaven and on earth will be reunited together under the lordship of Jesus Christ, put back together, fully reconciled to God, put back together exactly the way it ought to be. In the future, there's a great reconciliation. There's a great redemption, we could say, that's going to take place. Amen? Think we need that? We do. Now, this verse is not talking about some universalist that everybody in the world will be in heaven. No, Paul is very clear. These blessings are for those who have trusted Jesus Christ as, as Lord and Savior. What he's saying is, for those of us who know Christ, God has graciously informed us that God has a plan that Jesus is going to be working out. He's working on it now. But in the future, everything will be put back together. The future will be a glorious future, and he will do that. Now, the question for us is, do you really believe that? Are you going to believe that tomorrow morning? I, I fear for some of us, if you get enough bad circumstances in your life, or if you read the news about what's going on in our country, you lose sight of the fact that there is a plan that God has to bring everything under his authority, to put every broken piece of the universe back together through Jesus Christ. It will happen, and that's the future that awaits you. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you're going to be part of those pieces of the, of the reborn universe living forever in a perfect world without the very presence of sin. But I think sometimes we live our lives as if the future is somehow in doubt. Or sometimes we, we live our lives as if what we see before our very eyes means that maybe God isn't going to do this. Because that's how we live. That's how your emotional status is. I didn't go to movies very much when I was little. And I'm not recommending this movie necessarily, but some of you like it, I think. The movie called Star Wars. It was one of the first movies I'd ever seen in a theater. And of course, while I'm watching this film, I'm saying, why have my parents not allowed me to do this before now? I mean, it was amazing. But I remember as I was pretty young when this movie came out. And I was at the very end of the movie. I was on the edge of my seat. I was freaked out. Why? The Death Star was coming. You know, Darth Vader, very bad guy. And Luke Skywalker and all of his guys are getting shot down. And finally Luke's there and he's kind of get, trying to get his little missile just to the right place to blow up the Death Star. And, 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 and then Luke decides he's not going to look at his, he's not going to look at his, you know, his, his, his uh, you know, target. He's not going to look, he's going to remove the instruments. You know, I'm going to just use the force. And I mean, I am freaked out. And then the Death Star is blown up. And the world was saved. But as a kid, 
I was flipped out until that thing blew up. And the problem is, I do the same thing in this world. I see the circumstances. I see what's going on in our country. I see the division, the polarization. I, I, I see the racism. I, I, I see the poverty. I see all kinds of injustice issue, issues. I see the way we treat unborn children in this country. I, you see all of these things and you start to wonder, is God going to put this thing back together or not? And I begin to sit there like a child and sort of only look at what I can see rather than pitting my hope in this reality that God has revealed to me that in the end, it's all going to be put together and I had to live like that's true. And I guarantee you, you know, you know who you are. I'm one of them. Sometimes you live no differently than someone who has no faith in God. You're a functional atheist. You see what's going on. You see a bad report. You think, oh, this is going to happen. You have bad circumstances in your life and you lose all confidence and hope and you lose all perspective because you've forgotten that God has graciously revealed to you, given you all wisdom and insight to see that God has a plan to unite all things under heaven and on earth under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That is your future. And do you believe that? I'll tell you an interesting thing I'm, I'm curious about. If we're not more calm and more hopeful and more secure, what in the world are we going to tell people who don't have faith why they should come to faith in Christ? Is that what we're going to tell people? People, I, I, I live in a neighborhood. I've got all kinds of people who live in that neighborhood. And I'm going to tell you right now, most of them don't have faith. Really, you, know, you know, they don't have faith in God and certainly in Christ. And they're freaked out by what they see happening in our country, whether it's COVID-19, the election, the, 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 the riots. They, they, are, they are flipped out. They think everything is coming undone. They really don't see any hope for the future. They are deeply concerned about what kind of a world their kids are growing up into. And the reality is, if I present a just as much of a freak out as they are having, how am I going to say, yeah, come and join us. We're just as freaked out as everybody else. You can take another hour out of your week and talk about things that won't make any difference and give you hope. What, 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 are, we, what are we doing? We of all people should be more hopeful, more joyful, more content, more secure, more stable than anyone else. And we have this tremendous opportunity now where many people, thoughtful people who don't have faith are saying, what has gone wrong? People are more, more, more distrustful of all institutions in this country than ever before. And we've got the one hope that is completely secure. Are we telling people about that hope? And are we living as if we actually believe that hope? Next person, somebody says you know, to you, hey, I'm freaked out about what's going on in the country. I really hope you'll say, yeah, I'm concerned. But I got a lot of hope. I, yes, I'm concerned, but I'm not, I'm not in abject fear here. See where that leads. See what conversation you have out of that. The second reality here, according to verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God has a plan to unite the universe. All of the broken pieces in the world will be united 
in heaven and on the earth in Christ one day. And if you know Jesus Christ as your savior, you will be part of that reunification effort and that reunification experience that will last not only when Christ comes again, but for all eternity. That should define how you view every one of your present circumstances. In fact, that's what Paul says, right? I, you know, he says, I, you know, I, you know, in light of the, the, the present sufferings, I want you to compare your present sufferings with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You got to make that comparison to live a life of hope and joy. So I want you to bow your heads, whether you're at home or here in person. I want you to bow your heads. I want to pray for you and pray for me. That for those of us who know Christ, we would believe these two realities in a more comprehensive way, in a more consistent way, so that we can become who we already are in some sense. So let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you for telling us in your word that we have redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm asking and praying by the Spirit of God that you would help each of us to actually believe this. For those in this room or at home who maybe they've got a series of things they've done in their life and and, and they're struggling to believe, Lord. They're struggling to believe that they really do have redemption, that the blood of Jesus Christ was big enough to deal with their sin and the guilt of that sin. Lord, help them to believe that they have redemption. Today, they have it. It's their possession. Help them to believe that. Appropriate that. When those memories of failures and sin begin to cripple their perspective, Lord. I pray for those in this room who um, are tempted because of their life experience to minimize the slavery that they were into before they came to Christ, to, to, to underestimate the power of sin that controlled our lives before we came to Christ, the guilt that we all incurred. Help us not to underestimate that. Because when we underestimate the slavery to sin that we all were into at birth, we fail to appreciate the depth of the redemption you have for us. Lord, I also pray that you would be with each of us as we struggle against our sin. Instead of trying harder as our first move, I pray that we would believe more consistently that we were bought with a price and therefore we are not our own. We've been, we've been taken from under the de facto power of sin. We've been, we've been given freedom through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We're no longer under its guilt or under, under the de facto power of sin. Help us to live in light of who we really are, to be more consistently who we already are as those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And Lord, I do pray for each of us. Lord, I know that each of us tends to look at our circumstances and lose hope. Many of us tend to forget that the future is very, very secure. God has a plan to bring all things in heaven and earth under his authority. He will do that. And if we know Christ is our savior, we'll be a part of that, a joyful part of that. I pray that we would compare the present suffering, the present difficulties of this world with the glory that's on its way. Help us to make that comparison, Lord, fundamentally. Fundamentally. 
Help us not to just compare our present suffering with what it was six months ago, which was not as hard. Or, or help us not to compare our present suffering with which we hope to be delivered from in a few days or a few weeks. Help us to make the right comparison. The present suffering with the future glory. Help us to keep the future of where we are going to be. And, 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 and all that's going to happen in the reunification of the universe together under the Lordship of Christ. Help us to have that hope. And offer that hope to an unstable world. Lord, by your spirit, help us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.